It has been 621 days since Donald Trump was elected President of the United States. And I have a question for you. How have you all been feeling? A few of you may be unbothered by the political climate, and your response might be, I'm fine, thank you very much. I'll get back to you folks in a few minutes. But I know for many others, these days, all 621 of them have been difficult ones. Many of you are worried about what you see happening to our country, the divisiveness, the rising tide of hate targeting the marginalized. And that worry is often amplified by our always-on connectivity to news and social media into our virtual lives, which too often seem to eclipse the importance of our real ones. Last month, my wife and I brought our two daughters to Storyland, an amusement park up in the Mount Washington Valley of New Hampshire. It's a truly beautiful part of the state in our country that's mostly and blessedly out of network range. But as we gathered our things and packed up the car, I hardly felt blessed. You see, I was expecting to receive an email about a very, very important thing of the personal news variety. It wasn't that important. And I was on the lookout. The important thing email was supposed to come earlier that week on Monday, and then maybe on Tuesday but it never did. Now it was Wednesday, and I would surely receive that email, but here I was up in these godforsaken mountains, and I would have no way to respond in a prompt manner, as I absolutely should. For the first few hours, as my wife and three-year-old daughter rode roller coasters, I managed to connect to some very sketchy Wi-Fi, it attempted to check my email every 20 minutes or so. But I eventually realized that this important thing email was never going to come, and finally admitted that it wasn't all that important anyway. It's a good thing, too, because the battery on my cell phone soon died. And with my attention, with my attention entirely focused on my girls, the rest of the afternoon was wonderful. I even summoned the courage to ride on the teacups. <laughs> when back in network range later that evening, I learned that President Trump had earlier signed an executive order to end family separation, and the Massachusetts legislature had approved a compromise bill to raise the minimum wage to $15 per hour and enact paid family and medical leave. All this happened and no one asked my permission. I hadn't even received a notification. A few weeks ago, Reverend Frank noted, quote, it seems we haven't yet learned how to live with the technology and the speed of 21st century life. We're at risk of becoming captive to these tools 
which are supposed to make our lives better, but seem to be making things much worse. I worry about how social media is changing us. I am grateful that he shared these words. I take them to heart. I'm not sure I've figured out how to live with the, with the technology of 21st century life, and I work in IT. I've recently come to the realization that I am too often distracted to the point of absurdity. For me personally, the messages in this sermon, the practical application of this stuff, are works in progress. I have found that the recent coverage of the family separations at the southern border, on the nightly news and social media, the takes, the memes, the hateful backlash, all of it, has been especially corrosive to the sanctity of my inner life. The worst words, sounds, and images have seeped into my consciousness and have often replayed during the course of recent days. When I've ran errands, when I've cleaned up around the house, when I've played with my girls at the park, formerly simple, quiet moments have often been filled with sighs. It is true that we must periodically disconnect from all this, that we do need to sometimes turn our televisions and our computers off. There is only so much we can take. It is also true that these horrors exist, whether we're up to handling them or not. There are times when we must eventually face up to hatred and injustice and ask ourselves, is this the country that we want? Do we want to live in a cauldron of fear and loathing where we put people in cages and call them summer camps? Where we scoff at immigrant children with Down syndrome? where we call human beings an infestation. And that's just the blatant stuff. Think of all the instances of casual racism and prejudice you've experienced these last few years. Not just on social media, but in random side conversations with people. Think of the cringe-inducing stuff you've heard when you're out for dinner with friends, or waiting in line at the supermarket. It's not just your imagination, it is getting worse. Recent research has found that Trump, President Trump's election has in fact made the American public as a whole more accepting of bigotry. If this isn't the country that we want, what are we gonna do about it? It's an important question. And many of us who want to resist the new normal are eager to answer it. Surely, you may say, I could sign up for this thing and that thing. And OMG, did you see what he tweeted this morning? I get alerts on my phone. Ugh, maybe I can sign up for these five other things as well. 
But now I feel like I can't keep up with everything. I am so busy lately and tired and anxious and depressed. And I feel like I don't have the energy to do anything. This is how many of us feel these days. Plenty angry, yes, but also tired, depressed, and burned out. To make our world a better place, we must give of ourselves, but we must give our best selves. And to give your best self, you have to feel ready to do that. You simply can't show up and expect to go through the motions. And you have to be absolutely sure that living here on this beautiful, fragile world is worth fighting for. If these times are hardening your heart, if you're only able to notice the gray in the skies, then you first and foremost must tend to yourself and find time to fall in love with the world all over again. If you're looking to make a love connection with the world, here's an activity I can suggest. Sometime this week, go to bed early and wake up early. Head to the beach. Plan to arrive at least 30 minutes before dawn, at about five o'clock. This week, if we do see the sun, um, it'll rise over the horizon at 5.30. Find a patch of sand to kneel down, to kneel down on, away from everyone and everything else. Breathe in that ocean air deep into your lungs and taste its saltiness in the back of your throat. Dig your hands deep into and through the warm, soft layer of sand to the cool, moist sand below. Take handfuls of this stuff and feel it squish in your palms and between your fingers. Only if you like this sort of thing. Keep digging until you have made a small hole for your feet to rest as you comfortably sit. Look around. Look at the sky and the ocean. Notice how vast and beautiful they are, coated in a spectrum of color that changes from minute to minute. Then take a few seconds to notice how small and beautiful you are. Feel the cool embrace of the breeze. Listen to the ocean's rhythm, the conversations of seagulls, and the quiet of everything else. It is there, in these serene spaces, far removed from the tumult of daily life, where you'll hear the quietest, strongest voice inside of you stir, nudging you, to act, and eventually you will know you're ready to answer its call. Our country and our world need you to answer its call, and that means all of you, 
including those of you who are apolitical or simply discouraged when we disengage and wish to disengage from the madness. The midterm elections are months away, and many of our marginalized friends and neighbors, especially our communities of color, transgender folks, the poor, and women, desperately need your help. This doesn't mean you have to sign on to every progressive cause or join the wokest book club in town. But it does mean that when your government is kidnapping and abusing immigrant children, you have to care. We all must work together to defeat the bigotry and cruelty of this age with compassion, sacrifice, courage, and kindness, just as we have in previous ages. But I am not going to try to convince you this morning that the arc of the moral universe bends inexorably towards justice. Nor will I try to convince you of humanity's overwhelming goodness. But I do believe in the overwhelming goodness in you. I have seen it in action, in the countless ways you've showed up and spoken out for justice. I believe you will continue to do so again and again. I also believe in the goodness of the millions in this country and the billions more all over the world who love their neighbors and gaze upon the sunrise with full hearts. It is their goodness and yours that gives me hope these days. But my hope is moored by a solid realism, and yours should be too. Our country is fractured, and we will surely encounter many setbacks as we try to mend it. We'll have to be tough, which is not the same thing as being mean-spirited or petty. The fight for our future won't be won by lobbing insults over the internet or shutting out folks who disagree with us from our lives. It will be won by calling our legislators, by attending events and meetings, by showing up at protests, by giving money to organizations doing good works in our communities, by canvassing our neighborhoods, and by supporting our friends who are doing the same. By doing what we reasonably can. And it will be one when we keep doing these things, even in the face of setbacks. This is how we bend the arc together. These are hard times, but these aren't end times. And the spirit has abided with us through harder times than these. That inner voice inside all of us, our shared grace, has always been there. It comforts us, weaves through the generations, and binds our hearts together. It inspires us to take action. It reminds us to act with love. 
It is time to answer its call. It is time to breathe in and dig deep. Amen.